today, or he is there for me, about something that only God can do for you. We're going to talk about breakthroughs. God has identified himself in the Bible with several names, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of Peace, Jehovah Rophi, our healer, and so on and so forth, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. And anytime God names himself, it's something he wants us to understand that we can access through him. So he is my peace. He is my healer. He is there for me. He is my strength. But now God in the Bible identified himself as the God of breakthroughs. Well, what's a breakthrough? When your back is against the wall, you don't know what to do. You've tried everything you know to do and nothing has worked. There seems no way out. You're saying if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. That's right. Because that's what a breakthrough is. When God intervenes in time and space and breaks through on your life, sets you free, delivers you, heals you, answers you, guides you, opens a door, shuts a door. The God of breakthrough. Now, I want to talk today about a guy named Gideon and his breakthrough against awesome odds. And so let's read in Judges chapter 7 and verses 19 through 21. It was just after midnight. Say, God likes moving at midnight. When it couldn't get any darker, that's when God likes to move. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. And it says in verse 20, if I can get it to change, suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. And then verse 21 says, they held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And what happened when they shouted this? Each man stood at his, his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And the Bible tells us they turned on each other and self-destructed. And God gave an incredible breakthrough. Father, I'm asking you for a breakthrough today. There are people here, Lord, who need a miracle from God, a breakthrough from the Most High. It won't get done, Lord, if you don't do it. So I'm asking you to open that door or break the power of that habit. Heal that relationship. Heal that home. Heal that life. Heal that broken heart. Restore that hope that has been shattered. Bring a breakthrough where it's a new day, a new horizon, a new vista, a new scene. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say with me, a breakthrough is coming. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. I believe in the God of breakthrough. If I didn't, I would never preach again. The God I preach is the God of a breakthrough. Now, I, I am so thankful that the Bible tells us the truth about the people that are in it. it. Tells us about their weaknesses, their strengths, their failures, their successes. It tells the truth. It doesn't whitewash anybody. And it sure doesn't with Gideon. And I want to talk to you about Gideon today. When we first encounter Gideon in the book of Judges, he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, 
That's an odd picture, and I want you to know that's not normal because you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You stomp on grapes in a wine press because you're looking to make wine, and that's, that's what you did in a wine press. But the reason for this odd sight was an enemy called the Midianites and another one called the Amalekites. All these ites running around in the Old Testament. And the reason they were being oppressed by the Midianites and the Amalekites is because God pe God's people had once again strayed and backslidden from the Lord. When you read the book of Judges, it's really sad because all it is is a series of backslidings and a series of deliverances. They would get delivered by a judge who God would raise up. The judge would set them free, answer their prayers, and God would move in a, in a miracle and in a breakthrough. Then they'd backslide again. They'd go down, way down. Then God would let an enemy come in against them. And then they would cry out again, and God would send another judge, another deliverer, and they'd get delivered again. And it was this continual roller coaster of backsliding and deliverance and backsliding and deliverance. And that's what's happening here with Gideon. God's people had strayed and backslidden from the Lord, and God had allowed a foreign army to harass and oppress them, which served the purpose of bringing them back to the Lord on their knees because he would allow them to be so oppressed and so abused that they would finally return and say, Oh God, we remember you. Help us. Their God was sort of a flat tire God. God didn't hear from them unless they had a flat. And that's the way some of you might be. You cry out for help when you've got a flat, when you're in trouble. But God wants us walking with him and loving him when the tires are just fine. Amen? Now, here's what the Bible says about it. The people of Israel sinned in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Midian was stronger than a backslidden Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made big caves in the sides of the mountains where they could live, which were safe places for themselves. So here they are. They lost their homes. They're burrowing out caves in the sides of mountains so they can live there and be protected from this enemy. It goes on to say that every time Israel would plant seeds, the Bible says the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come and fight against them. They would set up their tents beside them and destroy the food of the field as far as Gaza. Can you imagine working all season long, sowing, watering, getting ready for that harvest? And every time the crop would come up, here would come the Midianites and the Amalekites and they would destroy everything you had worked for. It says they would leave no food for Israel and no sheep, no cattle, no donkeys. They would come with their animals and with their tents and they were like locusts. There were so many of them. There were too many of them and their camels to number. You couldn't number this vast multitude of Midianites and the Amalekites. And it says they came into the land to destroy it. So Israel became very poor because of Midian. Now listen, when a nation backslides... God allows destruction to come. When a nation backslides, it begins to lose its wealth. When a nation backslides, God allows enemies to come against it. Why? So that we will wake up and say, oh, it was better when we were walking with God. 
It was better when we were remembering God. It was better when the Bible was read in the schools, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. It was better when we were praying with our children. It was better when the Ten Commandments were on the walls. It was better when we remembered God. So Israel became, it says, very poor because of Midian. The people of Israel began to cry out to the Lord, Oh God, help us. Only you can set us free from this enemy. So here we have Gideon hiding in a wine press to protect his wheat. When we find him, he's like many people out there, and maybe some of you right here today, he's intimidated. He's oppressed. He's under the gun each and every day, always looking over his shoulder, always tense, always on edge, always sleeping with one eye open because I've got an enemy coming against me. I, I have no peace. I, I have no rest. Uh, I'm not living in, in what God really has called me to experience. In short, Gideon was miserable, living in misery. It's not the will of God. And get to this now, to this beaten down man, an angel appears and says something to him extraordinary. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon looked behind him. Who are you talking to? Isn't it funny? God sees us the way we don't see ourselves. Let me tell you something about you and me today. Somebody is defining you. Somebody is defining you, and something had defined Gideon, as we're going to see in a moment. But somebody is defining you. Now, my God always defines you and me up. Now, he will talk to us about our sin. He will talk to us about our backsliding if we do so. But he will always define us up. But the enemy always defines you down. And people will come into your life and they will say to you like they had with Gideon. They will say, you're nobody. You're not going to amount to anything. You have no promise. You have no potential. I don't see any real future for you. And if you're not careful, they will define you down. But notice what God did. He came to this beaten down, defeated man among a defeated nation. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty man. Can I tell you today, people of God, the Lord is with you, turning point. So here he's got this incredible statement made over him. And then the second thing we see about Gideon is that he didn't believe either of the two things the angel said to him. He didn't believe them. What two things? The Lord is with you and you're a mighty man. He didn't believe either one. Gideon was plagued with doubt about God. He replied, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? See, Lord, you're telling me you're with me, but when I look at my circumstances, I don't see it. I'm allowing my circumstances to define God for me. And folks, you can't do that. You can't allow tough times to define God. Here's your definition of God. It's found in this book. Gideon was saying, you're calling me a mighty man and you're saying the Lord is with us, but I look at where we are right now as a nation and here we are, Lord, we're hiding in caves. Our food is being stolen from us. We're living in poverty. I don't see what I have heard about God. I see the way we are right now. And so, Lord, I don't, I don't really believe. I, I'm doubting what you're telling me that the Lord is with us. 
And some of you have allowed tough times, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, loss of a marriage, loss of something to define God where you've looked up and said, well, I just don't believe that he is who I hear him to be at church or I hear about him. But that's why you've got to turn to the Bible that is the only book on earth that tells us the total, complete truth about God. It says he's a mighty God. He's a prayer answering God. He's a God of breakthrough. He's a God of peace. He's a God of healing. He's a God of deliverance. He's the God who loved us so much. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is the God who brings the valleys up and the mountains down. He's the God who makes a way when there is no way. And where do I get that? I get that from here. He is the everlasting God, the God of eternity. He is the God whose mercy is everlasting, whose mercies are new every morning. He is the God that loves us more than we can ever imagine. And he's the God of all power and all might. And he is never hindered by the devil. He has defeated our enemy. He has redeemed us by the blood of his son. He has filled us with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And nothing is too hard for the God of the Bible. But Gideon was really struggling with the way he saw God. Allowing his negative circumstances to affect his beliefs about God. He was saying what some of you are thinking today. Well, I've heard a lot about God's miracles, but I don't see any evidence in my own life. That's why you're here today to hear this. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Not what somebody tells you, but the Word of God. And I want to build your faith. I want you to know that in him you're a mighty man, a mighty woman. That in him all things are possible. Gideon was saying, you call me a mighty man, but I don't see that. Not only was his view of God skewed, but he also didn't see himself as God saw him. Far from feeling like a mighty man, he replied to the angel, quote, My family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You call me a mighty man, but when I look in the mirror, I see the least of the least. And don't we do that sometimes? Especially if you fail, if you make a mistake, if you disappoint God. Don't you have a way of kind of looking in the mirror and going, I'm just not the mighty man that I hoped I would be. I didn't do. I haven't accomplished what I hoped I would. And, and, and I know I'm not living exactly as I should. And when I look in the mirror, I just see the least of the least. But can I tell you today, that is not what God sees. God defines you and I up. Jesus met Simon Peter, who was as unstable as water. And he said, follow me, Peter, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And though you are unstable as water, I'm going to make you as solid as a rock. I don't see what you are. I see what you shall be. I don't see what you think of yourself. I see what I've created you to be. You are a man of destiny. And you folks are people of destiny. So how do I see myself the way God sees me? Here again, right here. Beaten down by a relentless enemy, his defeated nation living in caves, hiding what food they had, doubting God and doubting himself. Gideon was a prime candidate for a breakthrough. Even though he didn't look like one, 
That's the kind of people God likes to show his power towards. Doesn't the Bible say he chose those that are nothing to bring to naught those that are? He chose the weak. He chose the trembling. He chose those of no account. He chose those who are nobodies in this world to lay his hand on them and raise them up that his power might be glorified through them. Church, I want you to know that resident in this room is enough potential to touch the world. The Bible says the children of Israel began to cry to the Lord and God responded by sending an angel to the least of the least who was living in defeat, hiding in a wine press with no vision for a better future. And when I read that verse, it just hit me. Hiding in a wine press. There are people hiding in wine. There are people hiding in alcohol. There are people hiding in drugs. There are people hiding in relationships. You're hiding because you're like Gideon. You feel defeated. You feel like everybody around you is defeated. You feel like there is no vision for a better future. You've had disappointments and setbacks and made mistakes. And now you're, you're, you don't see anything ahead for you. So like Gideon, you're hiding in a wine press, hiding in a bottle, hiding in a glass, hiding in a drug, hiding in some kind of a, a way to numb reality. When I'm here to tell you today, the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And listen, my God has a plan for you. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and give you a hope. And he spoke that to a backslidden nation under judgment. It's never over until God has had his say. He said, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, but he does. Well, Pastor, you don't have any mistakes I've made, but I know how big the blood is. Your mistakes are not greater than the blood. Your mistakes are not greater than God's forgiveness. Somebody's going to be restored today. So first, God comes to Gideon and makes this statement over him. Then he gives him an awesome promise. Here it is. Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Wow. Incredible word, staggering word. And next God began a sifting process with his army. I see a process here. I see a pattern here. First, an awesome promise, then a sifting process. God commanded Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Now, Gideon had rallied around himself 32,000 men. That's a pretty big army until you compare them to the Midianites and the Amalekites that couldn't even be numbered. But at least he had 32,000. He looks at 32,000. That's a lot of folks. But God says, I want you to go to them. And here's what I want you to say to them. Every one of you that are afraid, go to the house. Go home. I think when Gideon received that word, he thought, well, I'm going to see a few from the fringes walk away and go home. And it's going to be okay. It's, it's cool because we'll keep every, most everybody else and so he said, okay, every one of you that's fearful, go home. And to his shock, 22,000 picked up their marbles and went home. I think he went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I, I, think I must have misspoke. But no, 22,000 admitted, I'm afraid. I don't think that God can do this. 
I'm going home because you're dead meat, Gideon. You're going against an army you can't even number. I'm not going to be there to see you become hamburger meat. 22,000 walked away. Why did God do that? God tells us why. The people who are with you, God said to Gideon, are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my hand did this. What is God saying? Gideon, you're going to have an incredible breakthrough. And I'm going to make sure that no flesh can take glory for it. I'm going to be sure that there's only going to be one response, and that's going to be to lift your hands and say, this was done not by might of man, not by power of flesh, but by the Holy Spirit of God. And when God gives you a real breakthrough, you will notice that all the props have been pulled out from under you. All the fleshly things you've always leaned on have been taken away. And now the only one who can get credit for you being free, for that door opening, for that provision being met, the only one who can give the, get the credit is God Almighty who gave you the breakthrough. It will be all of me, he said to Gideon. But he wasn't done yet. Gideon swallowed hard, looked at the remaining 10,000, and God said again, take the remaining 10,000 and go down to the water. Now, the reason he said go to the water is because they had been uh, 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 out there standing and, and dealing with all of this for some time, and they were very thirsty. So they go down to the water, and here's what God said. He said, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. Now get this, I'm at the water. I'm on my knees, I scoop water up with my hands and I bring it up and I start drinking it like this. He said, mark those. Then he said, in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. In other words... Those who get on their knees and plunge their face right into the water and begin to drink like they have no tomorrow. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands and all the others got down on their knees and drank with their faces in the water. Only 300 did this and brought the water up and drank this way. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why does that matter? Here's why. The ones who put the water in their hands and lapped it up like dogs kept their eyes on the enemy. They were doing this. I'm drinking, but I'm looking. I'm drinking, but I'm watching. I know we've got an enemy, and so I'm drinking. I've got needs. I've got personal needs. I'm really thirsty, but it's not going to take my eyes off the battle. Now catch this. God is saying, God was saying, here's who I want with you, those who won't put their personal needs over the battle, those who won't put their personal desires over the war. I want people that even though they are dying of thirst, they will not forget the glory of God and the battle they're in, and they will keep their eyes peeled for the enemy. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert. I'm watching. I've got personal needs, I'm hurting, I'm aching, but I've got my eyes peeled on the enemy. I have not forgotten that we're in a battle, that we're in a war, and I'm not going to let the Lord down. If the enemy comes at me, I'm going to see it. Peter said, 
Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to to devour 24-7. And this is what the 300 had done. And here's a breakthrough principle for you. Breakthrough comes to those who stay spiritually alert, even in times of personal need. Let me tell you something. If you're hurting, stay in prayer. If you're hurting, stay in the Word. Don't ever allow your own personal pain to keep your eyes off the battle and off of the target. And that is the glory of God. Even if you're hurting, even if you've lost your job or you've lost a relationship and your heart is broken and you don't know where to turn, keep your eyes peeled on the enemy and keep them on God. He's going to see you through this. You're going to come out on the other side and you're going to give him glory. So now, now, God said, by the 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. From 32,000 to 10,000, then 9,700 more walked away, 300. Yikes! In the natural, Gideon first received an awesome promise. Then God brought a sifting process. And next, God gives Gideon a brilliant tactic. And this is where I want to go with you and I today. The Bible says that Gideon, we've already read it, but let me show it to you again. Put a trumpet into every man's hands with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Now, he didn't say sword. He didn't say spear. He didn't say arrows. He didn't say shield. He said, I want you to take a trumpet and I want you to take a pitcher with a torch in it and I'm going to take you up against the greatest army in the world. Here we come. I'm just brimming with confidence. In other words, this better be God. This better be God. If the army had seen them coming here, they would have come. I got a pitcher in one hand and a trumpet in the other. Hey. With a trumpet in one hand and a clay pitcher with a lit torch inside on the other hand, Gideon told his men, now listen carefully to me, men. Look at me and do exactly what I do. Scripture says the Midianites and the Amalekites were lying in a valley in the midnight hour, as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number, and 300 men faced an army that couldn't be counted. Gideon was going up against awesome, even ridiculous, even bizarre odds in the natural. But God was about to give him a breakthrough. A breakthrough. Gideon said, when I blow my trumpet, you blow yours. He broke them up into three groups, 100 each. They surrounded this massive valley. When I blow my trumpet, you blow yours. And when I break my clay pitcher to let the light shine, you break yours as well. Now let me pause a minute and apply this to New Testament truth. Remember I tell you all the time that Old Testament events reflect New Testament realities. There's not an, an account like this in the Old Testament that doesn't have a New Testament parallel, a New Testament application. Gideon's victory came through a trumpet, a clay pitcher, and a light. Well, let's start with that trumpet. 
How does that apply to you and me? When a trumpet is mentioned in the Bible, it often refers to the Word of God. The preaching of the gospel is likened to the sounding of the trumpet of God. The Word of Jesus is likened to a trumpet. In Revelations 1, verse 10, Jesus' voice is compared to a trumpet. John writes these words, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And the voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Well, we know who that is. The voice of Jesus was like a trumpet. The word he spoke was like a trumpet. When they came from hearing Jesus, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they went and reported and said, no man has ever spoken like this man. When he speaks, you hang on every word. When he speaks, it goes right to your heart. When he speaks, he sees through you. When he speaks, he reads your mail. When he speaks, it's like a trumpet. So the blowing of the trumpets illustrates the power of the word of God against the enemy. When I blow my trumpet, you say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Well, what's the sword of the Lord? The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. What's the sword of the Lord? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of the Lord is a trumpet. There is one thing Satan fears. He doesn't fear you. He doesn't fear me. He doesn't fear this church building. He doesn't fear the name on a sign. He doesn't fear any man or woman in their natural flesh. No, no, no. But what he fears is the trumpet of the Word of God. When they blew that trumpet, it's a picture for you and me. You will overcome the enemy by the Word of God. When you, when you need a breakthrough, you trumpet the trumpet. You trumpet the Word. Jesus in the wilderness, the, the enemy attacked him. He's starving 40 days and nights without food. And the enemy came and attacked him and tried to overwhelm him and defeat him. And Jesus every time said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He used the word. I'm telling you folks, some of you need to stand in the middle of your living room and take a stand. You need to stand in the middle of your living room and say, that's it. You're not going any further. Let me quote the word to you. He said, Pastor Jeff, quote the word to who? Your enemy. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What is a stronghold? It's whatever holds you strong. It can be broken. The weapons of our warfare are prayer, and they are the Word of God. They blew the trumpet, and that's exactly what the mighty Word of God does when it sounded out against our enemy. You need a breakthrough? Grab this Word, find verses and passages that apply to what you need, and trumpet it. Quote it. Speak it. But next we have the clay pitchers. In the New Testament, we're told something very important about us. Let me tell you something really important about you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 and 7. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like jars of clay. Containing this great treasure, 
This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We have God's light shining within us. And Paul said, we are like those clay pitchers that Gideon held. What is the picture there for you and I in the New Testament? The Bible says that you are a clay jar. We came from the dirt of the ground. And inside of us, there is a treasure in this clay jar. The treasure is the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen. In, in the Old Testament, the, the, the presence of God was behind the veil. And the high priest would go in there with, with a, a rope tied around his ankle lest he do the wrong thing and drop dead in there. And they had to pull him out with going in to get him. And he would go in and there would be the glory of the presence of God there. But when Jesus died, that veil was rent in half. And what was God saying? Now my power, my presence, my glory is available to anyone who comes to me in the name of Jesus. Now, what does God do with it? Is, is the presence out there floating around, moving around here? No, the, the glory, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The presence of God is now residing in every blood-bought child of God. You have within you a torch. Oh, this is such a powerful truth. When you walk out of here, you're a clay pot walking out here with a torch inside of you. But guess what? In Gideon's victory, the light shined only when the clay jar was broken. Only when it was broken. Until it was broken, all those torches were burning inside the clay pitchers, but nobody could see it. Now, here's God's plan for the church. Everybody in here is a clay pitcher, and inside of you is the torch, but it will only shine when you've been broken. Now, let me be real clear about the word broken. Well, I don't mean broken in a bad way. I don't mean broken in a negative way. I don't mean broken in a way that shatters you as a human being and ruins and destroys your life. I don't mean the devil kind of breaking. I'm talking about when you give up your stubborn will, when you give up your selfish ways. I'm talking about what Jesus said in Mark 8, 34. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's when we say, not my will, but thine be done that the outer shell of human selfishness is broken. And as soon as that happens, shine. Listen, Jesus said, nobody lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but you light a candle and put it on a, on a table so it can give light to everybody in the house. Jesus lit you. When you got saved, you got lit. You're a clay pitcher with a torch on the inside. But until you go, Lord, I pick up my cross daily and I follow you. I'm going to forgive those that offend me. I'm not going to do my will, but I'm going to seek to do yours. When I want something that you don't want for me, I'm going to let it go and I'm going to follow you. If I get persecuted for following you, that's okay because you paid a price for me and I'll take it. I'm going to live for you and I'm going to die for you. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. And when you do that, the clay jar is broken. That's why some of you don't shine. And I love you. 
But the reason you don't shine is because you're still selfish and still walking around doing what you want to do. You thought Jesus was only a ticket to ride to heaven. But he was way more than that. He bought you with a price. You are his and he is yours 24-7, 365 days a year. And every day we wake up and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done today. You are my Lord and I'm your disciple and I'm going to follow you. So watch this. The word of God. And then bash and light. And this army supernaturally freaked out, turned their swords on each other and took themselves down. We can safely say that Gideon experienced an incredible breakthrough against awesome odds by trumpeting the word of the Lord, allowing his pitcher to be broken and holding high the shining light that was in it. The Bible says when the 300 Israelites blew their horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And today, if you're up against awesome odds, I urge you, Listen, I've always done this. This is always the way I have sought to move ahead in a difficult moment. I always check, am I fully yielded to him? Am I picking up the cross? Am I seeking him every day? And I always turn to this, always. I mean, ravenously devour it, page after page. It feeds me. And then... I always look for a place to let my light shine. So speaking his word, yielding my life, shining his light, creates a perfect atmosphere for a breakthrough against awesome odds. So can we stand together today? I love you in the Lord very much. I pray for you. And I want you to know that I know in my heart that some of you are in a bitter struggle and a real battle. I come to you with my being, sharing with you what I know God put in my heart. I know the word of the Lord is true. Can we just do this now? If you're in a battle and you need a breakthrough, can you just raise your hands right now? many of you. Now say with me, I will speak the word. I will yield my life and I will find a place to shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Lord, I pray for them right now for a mighty breakthrough that as they do this, they will posture themselves for that breakthrough. And I pray you'll show yourself mighty in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.